Hello, Chris. Welcome once more to uh, the show. Is it uh, if it's my show or your show? I'm not. Whose show, <laughs> whose show are we on now? <laughs> I'd say it's both of our show. <laughs> yes. Welcome. <laughs> It's a the multi-dimensional, <laughs> omnipresent show that ripples mm. across the space-time continuum. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to start by by saying um, thank you so much for um, taking me on the the voyage uh, of your equanimity course. Uh, that was the what was it called again? Equanimity. Uh, a clear seeing heart. A clear seeing heart. That's the one. Yes, mm. it's uh, we're just entering the final session in a few days time and uh it's been really really enlightening very sort of uplifting and it's it's just been extremely helpful uh in a lot of a lot of aspects of our life um how do you think it it went are you you happy with it hmm. <laughs> yeah i'm very happy with it um you know for me as a facilitator as a uh, i yeah it's always great to see you know when i'm offering these teachings um, that have really uh, made such a, a deep impact in my own life. When I see that these teachings, um, when other people take them on and engage with them, uh, they make a deep impact in, in other people's lives as well. Uh, it's so fulfilling for me to see that. And I've seen that uh, not just in the section that you're in, everybody in the section that you're in I've seen a shift or, or, or noticed some a really uh, marked change in how they might be experiencing their life. Uh, and I've seen that in, in all of the other sections that I'm offering as well, uh, both retreats in two sections each. It's pretty, uh, pretty uh, palpable how um, everybody is really taking the practices to heart and it's really um, you know, bringing them some uh, some profound and uh, I think insightful ways of seeing and experiencing their life. Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, I've really, I, I think it's been so, it's been really inspiring to see the, these you know, other people just also saying, you know, so I just, you know, I thought I was about to, you know, my, my co-worker's a psychopath and I thought, uh, you know, I'm going to really strike out. And then I thought, nah, actually, no, hold on a minute. Let's try that equanimity and uh, holding them in the compassionate sort of sphere. And it's it, it's interesting because it's, it, you know, a lot of the time we, you know, the, the conversations a lot of the time, because we have a lot, there's a lot of back and forths and a lot of, uh, a lot of, especially when I'm around, uh, a lot of endless sort of <laughs> discussions of the of the uh, topics, and so we don't always get to the meditative practices. But it feels like even just just hearing the concepts alone actually has uh, an impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, for sure. And I and for me, I, I kind of prioritize how I structure each. You know, we, we meet for two hours and two hours is really not a lot of time right, to, and for the ground that I intend to cover in each session. And I really prioritize uh, the, the um, concepts that we'll be talking about, you know, because well, particularly equanimity is such a rich and deep uh, topic and there are lots and lots of different uh, teachings around equanimity and uh, different ways that we can land into that uh, 
that sphere of equanimity. And I wanted to cover all of that because, uh, you know, these practices land differently for different people and certain practices will resonate with some people and not with others. And so if I went into the course and said, okay, I'm, we're just going to do these practices, these maybe two sets of practices from this particular tradition, that could be great for some people. But, but yeah. you know, I, I really uh, want to paint the picture with a really wide brush so that everyone gets to see the color, you know. So so I, I think it's really helpful to, to use the sessions for uh, conveying the concepts of the practices and for the, uh, the question answer discussion back and forth, as you put it. Um, because there is so much uh, value in learning from each other and sharing notes and, and comparing, oh, how did, you know, what happened there for you or, or hearing other people's stories, how they're applying this in their own life. Uh, I think that's, that's incredibly valuable. And then almost all of the meditations, if they're not already meditations that serve the material in the course on my podcast, then I, I'll create a meditation for that particular uh, practice for that particular session and then send it out to the participants. So I'm happy to guide meditations. I love guiding meditations because then I get to meditate too. And that's really quite lovely and, and uh, kind of a treat. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, um, yeah, I tend to, to, that's kind of third in line. You now, if there's time, if there's not a lot of questions and discussion happening, uh, we can, we definitely, uh, then move into a guided meditation. Also, I, I find that that can sometimes uh, um, inspire a conversation. So, so sometimes I'll start a, a session with a guided meditation uh, with the intention that it hopes to stir things up a bit like that. Uh, yeah, and I found that to be quite helpful too. <laughs> yeah, it's a real... Uh... It's a real, it's a real shotgun approach to the old, uh, the old enlightenment there. Um, <laughs> yeah, <Okay. laughs> and I, I say, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I find, I find that you know, so it's been really, it's been really beneficial actually, like trying the different sort of meditation techniques. Um, and I was, as I was saying to, I think you yesterday, yesterday, yeah, yeah, yesterday. Um, I was I've been noticing sort of marked improvements in my own in my own style of uh, meditation um mainly just because I've become much more aware of when I'm distracted and I can like feel what it's what it's like in in my body and 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 I think the the thing that you that that really um interested me when you do when we've done a meditation you know a lot of the times as part of the meditation, there's like an offering of, you know, may you be happy, may you find peace, offering that to all sorts of different people, you know, like the, and especially people we, we find challenging or um, neutral to. And at the end you ask any resistances, you know, any sort of, uh, did anything come up during that? Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting just hearing like the different things that people we're talking about, you know, say like some people were saying, you know, I found it really difficult to actually feel much for that person, or I found it really, you know, or, or, you know, some people were like, suddenly it was like, vumph, the veil got lifted. And, you know, these, it, it's, it's, 
you wouldn't think that such such massive insight could come from uh from just sitting down and thinking about <laughs> thinking nice thoughts about someone and mm. um yeah yeah and and it's it's just so oh there was something else i was going to say it's just so simple you know it's it, all you're doing is sitting there doing nothing and all of a sudden you're <laughs> having profound experiences yeah well thank you for that and and um yeah uh it's simple but it's not easy yeah i think that's you know there's you know some some meditation instructions actually are actually there's a lot to them we've done a little bit of those in the in the in the in the uh, eight-week program together you know for example the seven factors of awakening we have a lot of moving parts and things like that um, yeah <laughs> yeah um, but but yes, in general, you know, uh, one of my teachers would often say um, when he was asked what what he does when he's meditating, he says he does as little as possible, and the less you do, the more interesting it becomes. Mm. And I I really find find that to be quite accurate. Actually, this is speaking more to like resting meditation. You know, where you, you really, really invite the body, mind, and heart to rest as deeply as possible so that there's absolutely no motion at all. It's just pure stillness. And in because then when you're, when you're absolutely still, uh, the energy that was used to hold things down is no, no longer operative. That energy is resting. So then things come through things start to bubble up and, and emerge uh, that often uh, uh, be very helpful uh, things that we want to look at and address. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember during my first sort of year or so of like really solid, you know, meditative practice where I was like, no, I'm going to do this every day. Within a few months, all sorts of stuff was coming up, you know, within, within a few months, like, massive great chunks of like you know depression and like anger and and that sort of stuff was just just falling off it just you know I I kind of describe I remember describing it to my friends as like all of a sudden I was like like I'd been drowning my whole life and all of a sudden someone had pulled me out and I all the all the water was coming out of my lungs it was yeah. such a you know really really you know and that's that's kind of when I thought right I need to I need to stick with this yeah great yeah. thank you and 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 i think um i think that that analogy speaks very well to the process because you know that emerging from the water and and uh you know spewing up a whole bunch of you know excess water from the lungs um is unpleasant doesn't really yeah. feel good but but so necessary and and so life giving in a way and I, and I think that's important to acknowledge because I think many people come to meditation uh, hoping that it's going to help them feel better. Mm. Right. And in, in, a, in a way it often does. Uh, but, but I think there is, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, one of the things that I like to offer in meditation is space for people to feel the resistances. You know, yeah. it is the it, it is the turning and looking at the things we might consider unfavorable 
right? The turning and looking at, in, in the Buddhist language, it's it's called the unwholesome, right? Yeah. So when we when we're turning and and looking at what you know is unwholesome, unwholesome. I'll just cover this a little bit. Unwholesome in in the Buddhist uh, uh, tradition is is not bad. But it, it just it's just the normal natural tendencies in the human heart and mind that lead us uh, to suffering. What is wholesome, also the normal natural tendencies of the human heart and mind that lead us to happiness. And, and you know it, it's often you know thought in the Buddhist tradition that if we can uh, see both of those in a in a balanced uh, and honest way. Uh, then we can really uh, work at letting go of the unwholesome, mm. not condemning it, not making it bad, because that then we won't be able to let it go. Then it'll just remain in our unconscious. Right? Yeah. So what in Jungian terms is called the shadow, or a big part of the inner critic is is that, right? And so the 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 outlook that's encouraged that we take is is to have this um, equanimity with our internal experience. You know, thoughts of greed, thoughts of hatred, uh, thoughts of confusion, thoughts of desire, thoughts of anger. You know, uh, all of that is is welcomed in under the microscope, right, and embraced so that then we can work with that, right. Typically. Yeah all of that material doesn't really fit into who and what we think we might be, right? Particularly yeah. for long-time meditators, right? Oh, I've been meditating, you know, how many years? I, I'm above desire, right, for example, <laughs> right? And then, you know, that person has this shadow that, like, you know, that's, you know, ripe with desire, and, and that ends up controlling their life. And, and that's an extreme example, but it definitely would end up shading and coloring that person's uh, decisions and really the way they see the world. And so, so we have the opportunity to look at that and work with it. And then the wholesome too, we, we welcome that in. We don't covet it. We don't cherish it. We don't say, oh, look how loving I am or anything like that. Uh, but just to recognize that we can cultivate those uh, qualities and they then in turn lead us to a happier life. Yeah, it was, it was something. It's, it, it was an analogy. Um, I think I I told you about it when I was, I was you were talking about this during the the course, and I said it's a bit like it's a bit like our brains are like documentary makers, mm. and it's the you know we can't we can't not have a documentary going on because you know the the camera zooms in on particular parts, it emphasizes some, de-emphasizes others, um, all that kind of stuff. But the trick is to just acknowledge that that is the documentary and also try and learn to see above the camera to try and see the actual reality that's going on and that the things we the things that we sort of consider sort of you know oh that's bad that's frightening no don't think that don't look at it don't you know acknowledge it actually if you do turn and look at it it's not terrible you know it's not it's it, it's not unbearable I think there was well, wasn't there a Greek a, 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 a Roman Stoic philosopher who said that we're all we, we are each of us stronger than we think, mm. or something like that. Like actually, there is very little that is truly unbearable, unendurable, or unacceptable. Mm. 
which is a, it's a very it's an uplifting philosophy and you know i think when they say you know when you said you know people go to meditation because they make it they'll make them feel better i think yes i mean yes they'll feel better they will get better at feeling mm. which yeah nicely put yeah i think that's much more accurate than than you know uh i don't think meditation necessarily uh you know it, it's 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 an interesting dichotomy <laughs> because because you know after we integrate all of that shadow material for example using if we're using you know if we're exploring those practices I love a bit we do you. feel better we do feel better you know but it you know it is crossing that that very sensitive terrain that is often mm. quite challenging emotionally and can be quite painful yeah. and you know sometimes when i'm working with people who who are doing that kind of work uh they'll show up and they'll say oh i feel awful this you know this meditation you know and I might then ask them, uh, so it's not effective? You don't, you don't want to change? Oh, no, no, I'm getting a lot out of it. Yeah. But, so <laughs> yeah. they're, they're really, they're saying, you know, it's, it's really, they're voicing that. You know, it's like, wow, this is really hard. It's challenging. It's painful. And 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 sometimes when people say it's painful, if I know them well, I, I might say, oh, it's great. Practice is going well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. Yeah. I will we'll, we'll loop back around to the the topic of inner critic um which is the the topic of your next um course very shortly uh but I actually wanted to just just loop back because what you've said reminded me of um Nietzsche um because he was I, I think he made a description of like the last the last human being in like you know because he's Nietzsche Nietzsche had a lot of uh, a lot of interesting ideas. He did tend to sort of flower them up a bit. Um, like the last human being would be sort of someone who basically just lived in a kind of numb um, state of just no. They just avoid. They avoid unpleasant things. They completely cling to the pleasant. They have a they and they just kind of live in a dull, um, bland sort of unaffected state of you know only living on the surface because everything underneath is just too much and you know, a very mm. fragile kind of um state of being and it occurs mm. to me that that's that is kind of a, a state that many of us uh are in i think particularly in the kind of i don't want to i don't want to make too broad a sweeping statement but in, in a kind of uh, the social mediafication of men of like you know a lot of um not not serious mental health sort of but that kind of that's kind of self-help sort of um mentality of of you know just think positive thoughts you know just live your live your best life and all that kind of stuff i mean yes it, to an extent but also that best life will definitely you know i i, I remember um a philosopher elaine Alain de Botton, I think that's how you pronounce it, who was basically talking about like in um he was talking about um a lot of uh sort of stuff like that uh, in a, a conference. He said, you know, he was going around America and he was saying that look, essentially the process of living is about learning which kind like it's just basically just picking which kind of suffering you're going to endure in your life. You know, mm -hmm. are you going to live an unfulfilled life? Are you going to live a, 
a, you know, uh, a, a life where you're doing what you want, but you don't get rewards for it? Are you going to, you know, and back and forth and back and forth. And sort of the more New Englandy type people were sort of a bit more on board with that. But in, in California, they were horrified. It was like, what? <laughs> you mean things can't be perfect? And it, it's, mm. I, I, I just occurred, it occurred to me that these kind of teachings would be extremely beneficial to a lot of people living in a kind of you know the digital age the binary age hmm. Hmm. well yeah I, I think these teachings i'm often um, i'm often pleasantly surprised at how contemporary these teachings are i mean you know i when i go back to the old texts uh, you, you, they're the old texts are actually you know, speaking of buddhist tradition here the old texts that, that i study are um are ripe with Indian, ancient Indian mythologies and, and the worldview. But fortunately, um, you know, since the 1960s or so, uh, there's been a, a, such a contemporary movement to, to modernize uh, all of the teachings that are coming from Asia and, and really welcoming them into the world culture. And um, yeah, so, so fortunately we have, you know, because of the work of people like, uh, if I may, I'll just mention a few of the people who I admire. The work of Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg, um, Jack Cornfield, Ken McLeod, uh, Stephen Batchelor, uh, Oren J. Sofer, um, and many, many others. Um, uh, Bhikkhu Analio, Bhikkhu Bodhi, uh, are two really fantastic Western monks that, that really do amazing uh, translations of some really uh, really deep textual material. Without people like that, I, I think a lot of this material would have been lost. Um, but yes, with their with the lens that they're offering, I you know, I consider myself part of that that tribe, I suppose, where where I'm trying <laughs> to bring these early uh, teachings in a modern way to a, give them a modern voice uh, and make them accessible uh, to everyone. And you're right. I think I think um, I think the 21st century person, uh, whatever year they were born in, if you're alive today, um, there's a tremendous amount of suffering in this world, and, and these teachings are all about uh, freeing ourselves from that suffering. Oh. Right. So now we've established that the this stuff's got credit. Uh, <laughs> so you're <laughs> well. Now we've presented the papers. <laughs> Um, the, so your your uh, next course is called uh, one moment. It's called uh, forgiveness, self compassion, and the inner critic. Is that the, the one right of order? the two next courses? Yeah, that. Well, I've actually titled it self compassion, forgiveness, and the inner critic. Uh, oh. Simply because I felt like it rolled off the tongue better. I wrote. Uh, I, I wrote down. I wrote down all the points, and I wrote them in the wrong order. <laughs> That's fine. It could be in any order, really. Um, I, I'm still, I'm still um, toying with how we're going to go through it in the eight weeks. I, I do imagine us doing five sessions per topic, and one session as like kind of a, a wild card. We'll see, we'll see how that falls. Um, and yeah, so spending uh, five two-hour sessions covering practices of self-compassion. I imagine we'll start there. Uh, we would probably do a whole, uh, one whole session on just on mindfulness and really making sure everyone has a, a good, uh, firm foundation in 
some sort of mindfulness practice. Uh, so I'll be you know, talking about mindfulness offering, a couple of mindfulness techniques and things like that. And that could apply to, that applies to all three of those topics, right? Without mindfulness, we really can't engage in what's happening in the present moment. We just kind of check out, right? So mindfulness is kind of the integral uh, uh, ingredient in the whole, and really everything. <laughs> Everything that I offer, if we're if we're if we're not being mindful, we're spaced out, and then we can't really engage. So, um, yeah, mindfulness is quite an important factor in all of these practices. I I can attest to its importance because uh, I think it was I think basically one of the great the great uh, lessons that I, uh, I I had to learn through through, through my life was um just hey can you just can you just stop paying attention to the television in your head for a second there i mean can mm. you just can you just can, you know you don't have to switch it off it's a very difficult thing to switch off but can you just for a moment just for just for 10 seconds even just acknowledge that actually that's it's not it's not the only thing in the world mm. you know look around the room get up get a glass of water <laughs> go outside and touch some grass <laughs> Mm. absolutely yeah absolutely there's a whole world out there and and um and a lot of it's missed when when we're when we're in our head thinking about the business meeting we have to go to or the breakfast we have to cook or the dream we had last night or whatever yeah. um yeah yeah so all right um so the the, mind, the mindfulness is the baseline so but from there where are we where are we springing off from so we've got self-compassion right and I'm, i imagine that will be the first uh step after mindfulness we'll, we'll move into the practices around self-compassion and i'm using a, a map or a structure uh that's been put forth by uh the psychologist uh, kristen neff and her uh, co-worker, co-author, co-teacher, co-facilitator, uh, Chris Germer. And they work a lot together and they, they've actually codified uh, what they call mindful self-compassion. And that has three components to it. Uh, it has mindfulness as one of the components. Also, it has uh, uh, common humanity and kindness. And so this can be done in a meditation. That's how I'll be uh, offering it in the course. I'll also, also be offering it as a, uh, a practice that we take with us throughout the day. But the, uh, the idea is that with mindfulness, we can connect to some difficulty that we might be having, right? So let's say um, I had a, an argument with my coworker, right? And so I, then, you know, I, maybe I, I leave that, the office, I close the door and I'm back in my office and I sit down and, and I say, okay, you know, how am I feeling right now? Okay, feeling tension in the abdomen, clenching in the jaw, perspiration. You know, so really being, being mindful of the actual sensate felt experience of the emotions that are coming up. Now I, might, I will name the emotions as well. Okay, there's anger. There's sadness, there's resentment, and so forth. So I'll just go through and name the emotions that I'm feeling. And then while I'm feeling the somatic experience in the body, that's the mindful aspect. Then the common humanity 
we recognize that, yeah, all human beings feel this way, right? That this isn't my predicament, that this is a universal predicament, right? So we let go of personalizing the experience, right? We bring in this common humanity piece. And so there we see the compassion, right? Like, oh yeah, man, all other human beings feel this way. It's really painful. It's really too bad. So we start to feel into this compassion uh, for all, for all. And for me, that stage is is really um, they're all important, of course. But that one I find to be really surprisingly beneficial and eye-opening. Uh, because when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when we're in pain, it often feels like somebody's put these blinders on us over the eyes, right? Yep. And so, so when we recognize that all of the human beings feel this way, that just all of a sudden the blinders just open up, right? And we, all yeah. right, you know, and that can be quite helpful. And then the last piece of that is the kindness piece, where we offer our self-kindness over the situation or, or compassion, if you wish. I, I often like to put a hand on, on my heart. The way Kristen Neff offers that is just some move of self-compassionate touch. So it could be a hand on the cheek, or some people like to do this, or one hand on the shoulder, a hand on the abdomen, a hand on the heart. Some form of compassionate touch. It's almost like you're supporting yourself in that moment of challenge, right? And for me, even when I just do that, I can feel a softening. You know, it's like, oh, right, that feels good. And then I might say, yeah, that was really tough back there. It's really amazing how you handled that or just giving myself words of, of, of comfort. You know, things that, I think, it was it Kirsten Neff who I heard do this, but, or was maybe another teacher, but uh, they invited you to visualize your, your older, wiser self and try to hear what they might say to you. Uh, and, and that can be quite helpful. Yeah. Ah, right, yes. Yeah, I was about to say it does sound like rather you're, rather you're treating yourself like uh, like your own child mm -hmm. in a way. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. In, in, in uh, many self-compassion uh, teachings that I've come across, they and I'll be offering this as well in the course, uh, we explore different ways of becoming our own best friend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think... Um, it reminds me of a, a incident that occurred um, to me. I got I got scammed um, at uh, no not at a much. It was like a, like a tenner. Um, although I suppose nowadays that's actually quite a lot. Because uh, but but um, the it, I got a, a, a train station, uh, and you know, and I really I really went in on myself. I was like idiot you idiot you idiot you know what are you doing you moron you all that kind of stuff really spitting hatred at myself but after a while i just sort of went ah you know what paul it came from a good place you were trying to help you know and uh you know it's all right it's only a tenner nothing's wrong just get on the train and i was sitting there on the train i was thinking oh you know what paul it's all right don't worry about it well tell you what tell you what buddy 
We'll go home. We'll have a Chinese takeaway and uh, we'll forget all about this. We'll watch The Breakfast Club and we'll have just a lo- lovely old time. How's that? Oh, thanks, Paul. You're welcome, Paul. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. not that I'm saying Chinese takeaways are the instant solution to, uh, well, I mean, they might be. They are re- they're really good. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, yeah, but, but it's just sort of the, the, I, that kind of that kind of it's all right you know we sort of go we yeah. tend to go through life with this sort of a this 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 when you really think about it it's such a bizarre idea that we are a total arbiters of wisdom you know that every every it's sort of a common condition to think well you know naturally i'm the smartest person in this room because mm. it's sort of part of the I, I suppose it's part of the human condition because we're literally rooted to our own perspective you know we're we're incarnated in this in this body and we're the only you know we, we can't see any other people we can't see see through any other eyes we can't uh feel through any other hands or you know we can't um hear through other ears so we're all we've got and so it's kind of natural that this we become the if you will the the, the messiah of our own little universe but just mm. reminding ourselves that you know we're we're not and we're not the white we <laughs> we we don't have to be the wisest people in the world you know even uh, you you can just you 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 can be human it's all right mm. there's nothing wrong with being human yeah i think i think once people actually surrender to that then the wisdom actually starts to come forth <laughs> much more nat- much more naturally Ain't right. that a contradiction? Yeah. <laughs> ain't, ain't that a, it's a real. I, it's, I found that with with a lot of um, spirituality, the second you stop looking for something, that's when it occurs. Mm, can be that. It's way, bizarre. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah, and you're right. You know, I mean, that is the 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 human condition. We are born uh, feeling very much feeling that we are the center of the universe. You know, that, that that's where our center of gravity is. It's in the, the eye. Probably as a, as a survival mechanism. I mean, how else will we have evolved, you know? Uh, I think all animals have this innate sense that, that, you know, it's me here in the world out there. I think maybe not other animals. I don't know if other animals have that, but humans certainly do. I think where it's, maybe where it's ants. Me, grounded in ants here. have a more a grounded sense of who they are <laughs> like, at, i i imagine <laughs> ants are probably just like i'm just a cell in the great ant <laughs> yeah well and, and and that's what a what a um yeah i think that's the human condition is and it essentially is that that we are just ants in one great ant uh, but but that's certainly not how it feels, right? Unless we've taken practices of compassion or equanimity or joy or loving kindness, where we start to feel the unity of of the human species. And if you think about it, this is actually exactly the same thing that's happened in human history externally, right? Back in what was it, the 1400s, uh, when we discovered that the sun was actually the center of the universe and not the earth. Mm. Same thing, right? Once upon a time, for for thousands of years, uh, human beings thought that we were the center of the universe, 
literally yeah. the center of the universe. And they hung Galileo for discovering the fact that we weren't. Oh and and, and 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 Copernicus too had had a horrible time conveying this message that actually the sun is the center and we're rotating around the sun. And not only that, but we're we're three planets behind in line. <laughs> and, and there are lots of other planets out there on the other side. And so it, it, I imagine that, you know, when, because after that, the worldview had to shift, right? Because mm. you couldn't deny the science, right? At least, back then, at least back then, there wasn't this movement to deny the science. So, <laughs> so but they hung Galileo and um, <laughs> there was this big move against Copernicus uh, to put that, you know, message down. But eventually, the human consciousness had to evolve to embrace the fact that we weren't the center of the universe. And I find that quite similar to the teachings of the Buddha. That all of these teachings, uh, I think, well, a good portion of them anyway, are designed to help us let go of that feeling of being the center of the universe. Mm. And I think the resistance to that is much like the resistance that Copernicus and Galileo must have faced when they were putting forth their science you know. it's, it's it's uh like in hermeticism as above so below uh mm. it's it just i mean i'm just trying to i was thinking like imagine being copernicus or galileo <laughs> you know you're sitting on you're sitting on the roof of your house looking up at the stars and then all of a sudden they stop becoming ice crystals or whatever they thought they were in the sky and all of a sudden it's like boom they're suns and the in the universe is infinitely large and the sun our sun isn't even the middle of it maybe there is no middle there's nothing there's oh god no there's like it's such a you know all of a sudden i can only imagine because you know we're, we're brought up with that knowledge we know you know and and i think because of that we're sort of slightly mentally cushioned against it but if you've grown up your entire life thinking that you're the the, the literal center of the universe or you know the, the planet is the literal center of the universe and then all of a sudden in an instant you get a kind of psychic shock of just you know like like someone just telling you oh by the way uh, everything you know is wrong uh just uh, just that that must have been terrifying existentially terrifying and to an extent, I can sort of uh, understand why why they might have burned him. Because <laughs> it's just like, oh, you can't say that. That just result in universal despair. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I don't think they should. I mean, they shouldn't have. I'm just saying they, they shouldn't have. Uh, I think well, just hot hot take here. Burning people at the stake <laughs> is bad, actually. <laughs> but sounds like a horrible uh, fate. Um, mm. But I, I think you know, I, and I, I see a similar resistance um, to people when they embrace, or at least take on some of these practices. You know, where it's mm. like, whoa, the, the you know, it is one thing to know that life is impermanent on, on a logical level using that as an example of one of the primary teachings of the Buddha, right? But it, it's, it's another thing to actually meditate on impermanence and really feel how everything is in constant state of change. Like really knowing that in a felt way mm. is much different than just saying, oh yeah, everything changes. 
Yeah. You know? and, and so there is this like shock that happens sometimes when people go into a, a, a serious amount of practice around impermanence. Uh, and that's just one example of, of, um, of many of the teachings that are so radically against the current worldview um, and necessarily so because the current worldview is, is dysfunctional. <laughs> mm. I want to get into that a little bit later. Um, yeah. But first, I, I really need the toilet. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pause this. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. Just let me just. Uh... Jazz hands. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> um, yeah. So, modern world is so dysfunctional. Yeah, um, I mean, I know, I know, I know what you mean with the the, the modern sort of viewpoint. Um, because I I watched um documentary actually about uh by a guy called Adam Curtis called The Century of the Self, and mm. it was essentially uh, about the invention of modern advertising. Um, I don't know, I don't know how much of the history um that you that you'd know but basically but it, like in sort of the 1910s and before advertising was fairly you know bob basic it was just like hello buy this product it has many benefits uh i will now tell you it, it, it's 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 more durable uh it's cheaper and um and and it's 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 got a little got a little cup holder this time uh, so yeah, buy the new car. Bye. Uh, mm -hmm. Which, God, I would have loved advertising to have stayed like that. But the uh, <laughs> guy, uh, but the the cousin, I believe, of Sigmund Freud, um, mm. got into advertising, and ba because the the worry was that eventually, with you know, modern society is producing so much stuff that actually demand will be far outstripped by supply and mm. the entire you know the 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 consume the global economy will just fall to pieces because everyone will be like yeah i'm all right thanks yeah i've got i've got enough stuff I've got my car that's all nice <laughs> uh yeah i'm good i don't want for much which would have been a disaster um well for for them um <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to be henry ford that's a disaster um but the so in order to avert this sort of wave of general contentment um <laughs> uh, the edward Ma i think his name is edward malays um he was the yeah the uh the cousin of sigma freud and he used freud's ideas of the unconscious and started really stimulating the the idea of the individual and the idea of self-expression through uh buying and consuming uh mm. goods so you know your clothes say something about you and right. it was sort of a a very di a very different change in the the thought patterns because you know you go sort of back to maybe medieval times or you know that, that those those sort of eras your average person would have just thought yeah i'm not much you know i'm just uh i'm just bob the blacksmith uh i just you know mm. I do my thing. I don't really, you know, I'm not much. Whereas then, because of the the needs of the machine society, 
it was sort of changed that you know no you're a, you're you're a, you know a center of the universe you must express yourself mm. by buying this clothes or this or this car or this thing and this there's this says this about you mm. and i feel like that's only kind of accelerated over time it's become so hyper stimulated that you know people read so much into the the consumption of goods um mm. that uh it's sort of become I mean, I, I'm, I'm. This is the, this is. I kind of. Uh, I, I don't think that putting the genie back in the bottle is possible or even desirable in a way, because I think you know individual human flourishing is a lovely, beautiful thing, but it's kind of been so overstimulated that impulse by the and mm. so tied to the material world. Um. Yeah, I don't know. What are your what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, no, I think you're absolutely right. I I don't know much about you know at the advertise the evolution of advertising and things like that. I I do know that you know the the human nervous system is wired so that when we have a success, which includes obtaining a new shirt, for example, uh, we have a success. Uh, the the dopamine that we get you know from that success the serotonin uh wears off pretty quickly and then we want another success of a similar fashion you know and so and this is this is how <laughs> the way i understand capitalism anyway that's how capitalism works is that it keeps it keeps you know trying to stimulate that you know push that button push that button mm. so that we're always wanting the next uh, item the next shirt the next car the next job the next house whatever it is right uh, and i think that's one of the uh, primary dysfunctions of, of the 21st century i think there are a lot of other um, i think that has given rise to a lot of other dysfunctions and but there are also other areas of our culture our worldview that's that's not uh, healthy and and this actually leads quite nicely to the inner critic topic, uh, because when we're born into a culture that's not healthy, uh, yet our parents and our teachers, our educators, our culture, our society uh, needs for us to conform to that as a two-year-old, as a three-year-old. Otherwise, we end up in prison or we end up ostracized from our family or from our culture right so then we're, we're uh we have to repress certain aspects of our being so that we assimilate into a sick environment mm. into a into a into a culture that's not balanced yeah and so i i and so that's the inner critic it's <sighs> it's you know keeping the healthier parts of us back and back uh so that they don't show up because at, when we were perhaps two or three, let's say we were introverted as a child, right? As a three-year-old, we were very kind of quiet, shy. Many children are, you know, uh, yet our family was, was like, oh, come on, you know, have fun. You should go out and, you know, go out there and make friends and things like that. But then they start to, to, to um, push down or repress uh the shyness the 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 introvertedness 
and you know forcing themselves to to be more outgoing and so and then that that shyness that that introvert uh, becomes a voice of the inner critic right so then whenever we're really feeding that and nurturing that very natural part of our personality uh the inner critic says oh no you shouldn't be doing that right now oh no you should go out and talk to those people or you should go have dinner with those people or you should go make friends with those people right and so this is the voice of the inner critic um, yeah yeah i mean I, yeah it's because um i mean i was having a moment while i was uh while i was uh hearing now i just realized there was a part of me that was going yeah maybe you don't criticize adverts so much since you get paid to act in them uh, but <laughs> maybe don't do that but uh but I, it's yeah i and and it's 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 i'm sorry i'm trying to work out what to what what to bounce back uh, to that it's <laughs> that's right i know what you mean though and i i i wonder sometimes like how much of what we consider to be i mean what what a society considers healthy in regards to sort of you know oh this is you know this is uh this is healthy behavior this is unhealthy behavior this is sort of you know um i know the phrase uh you know i know sort of you know phrases like uh neuro neurodivergent uh which i mean it's very you know i mean helpful in many many regards but i've I've had moments when I thought, but divergent by whose standard, mm -hmm. you know, from what, where are we, it's all about sort of where, where you frame the, where you put the, the frame of like, this is what normal looks like. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that we consider, we would consider perfectly normal now, a hundred years ago would have been considered, you know, insane or, mm -hmm. uh, and, and we, and it can lead to, I imagine it does lead to a lot of, um, a lot of beating yourself up, a lot of, um, a lot of unrest when really there need not be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, beating yourself up, absolutely. And I think that's, again, a, a sign of the inner critic, right? And how, um, you know, we, we were given this, this these this really i'll call it a set of instructions when we're you know as we're growing up you know age two age three um that that will help us assimilate into a, a culture and a society that's out of balance mm. and so and and I, I think most people intuit that you know yeah. uh, we we we're on some level we're like yeah this doesn't feel right you know i want to do this but then the the voice of the inner critic is like oh no you can't do that yeah right? because if you do that you'll be ostracized you'll be cast out you'll be set aside keep in mind that ostracization back in uh tribal cultures you know hundreds of thousands of years ago that meant death yeah and if yeah. a child is ostracized from its family at you know one or two years old three years old uh, equally means death mm. right mm. so so it's it's a very very deeply ingrained uh need to belong mm. right because that's a, that's how we survive as a child so if we're you know entertaining 
thoughts that don't match the instructions that we've been given, uh, the inner critic is going to jump on that. If we're entertaining behaviors and ideas and values that don't match what our culture and society tells us is of value and is normal, uh, the inner critic is going to get on that. Yeah. And, you know, all of that, yes, we want to assimilate into a culture, but at the same time, we want to recognize that, you know, the inner critic is traditionally anyway, or at least I think the reason why it's called the inner critic is that it's so harsh. It has this harsh, uh, you know, what really feels so negative when, when we have those thoughts. Oh, how could you do that? Why are you so stupid? Why are you so messy? You know, all of this, right? That's very typical inner critic material. Hmm. And so I think, I think part of the, the benefit of the practices that we'll be engaging in the course is that we learn to, to hear the inner critic without the harshness. So we kind yeah. of boil it down to, to get the nugget of wisdom, right? So if my inner critic is saying, you know, if I, maybe I, I meditate for, for a while and then I get up and my, my, my inner critic is like, oh, you are having tons of thoughts. You are so distracted. How can you, how can you, you know, be meditating for so many years and be so distracted? Why are you so bad at this? You should be better at this by now, right? That's the inner critic, right? So if I listen to that and say, okay, let me, you know, get the harshness out. Let me distill the harshness and take the wisdom. So the, the wisdom of that might be, well, you want me to be more concentrated during meditation. Well, I want that too. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's it. And then and we can meet there and say, well, what could I do? I could bet, get, I could bet better sleep. Maybe I could have a cup of coffee before I meditate, which I do anyway, but the saying, just an example. Or I could uh, do a little bit of exercise before meditation. So there, there are actually techniques that one could do then uh, to, to, uh, you know, to serve what the inner critic might be offering. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I want to just circle back for a second there. It's very, very interesting stuff. I, it, it, the, when you were talking about sort of the, the fact we are sort of programmed to sort of uh, go along with what the, to go along with an ill society, if you will. Mm. It reminded me of, um, I believe it's it's an idea that's in a lot of um, African-American philosophy. Um, but I also think it was posed by Franz Fanon, who uh, was in a French colony, uh, whose name temporarily escapes me. But essentially the whole, the, the idea is like, you know, um, for a lot of uh, colonized people, um, uh, black people was the main topic of discussion. I think a lot of, a lot of uh, black civil rights groups have used that idea it's this idea of a false consciousness that develops you know mm. there's a kind of you're forced to view yourself both as how you want to respond but also how you will be perceived by a racist society you know mm. like there's there's kind of a it's it's a very it's a very extreme version of the inner critic um mm. in a way of like you know you want if someone's being you know bigoted towards you the impulses to get riled up and get you know aggressive but if you're aggressive that will be perceived as needlessly aggressive which will be perceived as wrong which will be which could protect cite retaliation so this is you know this stuff isn't just um 
uh sometimes i feel like i should be like you know more extroverted no this this stuff has like real on the ground stuff yeah implications Mm. oh absolutely yeah thank you for that because um i use these small examples to make them uh graspable uh for Mm. everyone uh, but yes, uh, when we take these uh, concepts to their end, uh, the the implications for social movements for human rights, I think, is um, it's quite vast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and that I suppose viewing that that thing with with compassion, I mean, that's going to be quite difficult because it's you know it's extremely. But it's it's sort of a you know it's it's a version of the survival instinct. You want me to not die, um, mm. which you know. It, and I suppose it's only through understanding those those kinds of consciousnesses and working with them that you can overcome them. Yeah, overcome them might be a little bit strong. I, I might uh, reframe that as making space for it. You know, the, right that those voices that the inner critic is is always going to be hanging around but but we want to make space for that you know in a sense we want to befriend it you know Mm. so yeah i mean we could have that voice in our head that that wants to protect us great you know that that I, i would call that the healthy version of the inner critic that's the wisdom side the the dysfunctional version of that is going to sound like why are you out now it's 11 at night three hours after sundown there's crazy people out here you're crazy you should you you should be much more careful right it's gonna it's gonna take some something that's happening really happening objectively happening and Mm -hmm. see the flaw in that and then make us wrong because of that flaw we personalize the flaw and then it becomes about i'm a bad person yes you know so maybe the let's use a different example yeah i think i might uh, have uh, put a dampener on the whole thing made it a bit heavy but uh, yeah no 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 um let's use the example of uh meditation again for example so let's say I'm meditating and, and uh, you know, I get up, the inner critic is you know, condemning my meditation practice. You're such a bad meditator and all this stuff. Um, so the, the actual facts that, uh, that transpired, the objectional facts are, I was sitting for a half an hour and I had a lot of thoughts. I felt distracted. That's actually what happened, right? Now the inner critic will take that experience and make it about me, right? It'll, it'll say, okay, I had a bad meditation and it was filled with thoughts and I should be better at this by now, so forth and so on, right? And then it takes, it takes the, it kind of gets rid of the actual experience and just says, I'm a bad meditator. I can't do this right. I'm never gonna meditate again. I'm not gonna, yeah. you know, this doesn't work for me, right? That's that's the, the the usual progression of the inner critic, and so we want to be able to intercept that, so that if we have uh, some meditation sessions where we're very distracted, it doesn't make us you know want to stop meditating, 
right? Yeah. But many people do. You know, many yeah. people do stop there because it feels so uncomfortable to listen to that voice over and over again. So the idea is to take that harshness out. And so we can just hear, oh, you want me to be better at meditating? Well, so do I. Okay, well, how, how do we do that? You know, what are some strategies we can put forth so that we make sure that we engage in this practice in a wholehearted way? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, the amount of times that I have talked to people and they've said, oh, I can't meditate. I just think too much. I was oh, like, absolutely. do you, do you not even know who you're talking to? It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a nonstop show in, in my head, but you know, you got to keep yeah. going. You, it's not about, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not about not thinking, you know, yeah. if, if you, if you attach yourself to the idea of not thinking, you're going to have a very rough time. You'll be, you know. Yeah. yeah, well, that's just another example of how, you know, our society, our culture has given us an out-of-balance message. You know, so many people in, in the West, and really I would probably say uh, the worldview now around meditation, it's getting better now with the mindfulness movement, but, but for quite some time, the idea of meditation was that we just sit and not think. You know, and and it's such a a, um, a horrible misinterpretation of meditation. Oh. Um, but but that's just it. It's it's the out of balanceness of that that people take that on board when they're young or when they're just learning how to meditate, and that becomes a natural voice of the inner critic. Yeah. And so there we can see how how that inner critic is forming. Yeah. It's yeah. It's 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 not about not thinking. It's about realizing that um the thoughts aren't everything yeah it's just another passing experience like a sensation in the body or a smell a taste a sight a sound yeah. a thought is just just like that yeah it's all it's all cool man just you know, <laughs> relax yeah it's it's because it's such a i think um it could become you know, if you, it, with the inner critic uh, rolling around in there, you know, and it can very quickly unbalance and just mm. tip you, tip your head into this endless sort of like a really bad soap opera, like one of those really mm. melodramatic ones that only lasts for like two seasons. They're just like, <laughs> no, what have you done? You've betrayed everything. And oh, God, maybe, you know, it's sitting there just like, oh, maybe my girlfriend will come back to me and oh no why why are you thinking that it's just this endless or maybe a more apt description is just like a reality tv show just endless screaming and you know and and if you if if you if you keep going into it if you keep trying to you know literally fight fire with more fire all that's going to happen is that you'll just it'll just be raging forever yeah and i think a lot of people do end up uh, uh falling into that that trap um hope they'll sign up for the course <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah i mean i think that's a great place to sort of to wrap up you know it's, sure it's... can do I, I let me go ahead and and give the details for both of the courses yes um yeah so the, the course that we've been talking about here Self-compassion, forgiveness, and the inner critic. I'm just going to read off my notes here. 
Nice. And this is offered in uh, from October 11th to December 2nd. Uh, more or less, adjust your dates accordingly uh, because it's this is worldwide. It's offered online. So in Australia, New Zealand, and here in Asia, it's a day ahead, and in the West, in the States, and so forth, it's a day if you're, earlier. If you're in England, so, it's uh, in the morning. <laughs> in the morning, right, yeah. yeah. So uh, there are two sections. Uh, uh, section one, it's from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Tuesdays and Saturdays, East Coast time. Uh, that would be uh, Wednesdays and Sundays in Asia, Australia, and New Zealand, and Thailand at 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. That's where I am, Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> Section two is really designed to cater uh, to people in Europe, like yourself, Paul, uh, or near Europe, anyway. <laughs> uh, and that's on Wednesdays and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 12 noon, uh, if that's if you're in France that part of Europe. Uh, that would be Thailand, uh, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. on Wednesdays and Sundays. Uh, Philippines, it's 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Wednesdays and Sundays and so forth. Uh, so you early. can adjust adjust your time accordingly. I do go to bed very early. Um, and I was gonna say one other thing about that. Oh, there, for most areas of the world, uh, there is a, a, a clock change as we move into uh, later into the year. Yeah. Uh, so in Thailand, the clocks don't change. So everyone, all the retreat participants will change their clocks according to where they live in the world. So take that into account if you're signing up and you want to do all the sessions live, uh, mm. you'd have to figure in the time change. I'd, I'd like to actually, can I just say for the audience, yeah. uh, if you sign up for the course, they do send you an email the day before with the times on it and everything. You don't need to, mm. you don't need to memorize it and do a lot of mental maths. They'll just, you'll, you'll know it's all right. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yeah. I, I send out a zoom like the day before usually um, with, with all yeah. the information, but it's, it's the same time twice a week. If you want to plan your, your schedule accordingly. Yeah. Um, so I'll talk about the other retreat, which is loving kindness, widening our circle of care. This is also an eight week, uh, meditation program that's running October 5th to November 26th. Uh, we meet, uh, section one meets on Wednesdays and Sundays from 8 PM to 10 PM East coast time. Uh, section two will meet, uh, Thursdays and Mondays, 10 AM to 12 noon. Uh, Europe, i.e. France time. Uh, Thailand and Asia, it's the same. Uh, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Sundays, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. In Thailand, uh, section one and section two, Thursdays and Mondays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. I know that's a lot. Uh, yeah. So if you're really curious or if you're interested to sign up for the program, uh, go to the website, Such Sweet thunder.org and all of the information for both retreats is on there so look around uh, check out the website there's lots of other materials there as well lots of free videos and recordings and things like that that you can access that can really uh, support your meditation practice so thank um, you i suppose yeah. I suppose I'll do a plug too, since this is a boat. This is a two-way street. Uh, yeah. If you were in, if you were entranced by my dulcet tones, 
uh, and, and witty repartee. Um, you can find me on uh, YouTube uh, on Paul M. Bradley. Uh, Paul M. Bradley. Uh, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, I upload podcasts such as this one, uh, video essays, uh, some monologues for my acting, vlogs, any anything that I feel like, really. Uh, that's that's my main uh, source of interaction with the world. Come check me out, Paul M. Bradley. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Well, thank you for that. That was a lot of fun. Always a pleasure, Paul. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Likewise. Look forward to seeing you on Monday. <laughs> yes. Yeah.